Hello, everybody. Um, welcome to Recovery Friends Podcast. Um, I know last time uh, we put out an episode, I promised I'd be more consistent with the episodes, and I have not been. So today, I'm not going to promise uh, weekly episodes. Um, I will say that I do intend to continue doing this podcast, um, but it might not be as consistent as I would like it to be as I am busy in other uh, areas of my life, but I'm going to continue to record them and I'm going to continue to try to put them out um, as often as I can. And if uh, some of you listeners are out there who I run into regularly um, want, you can try to hold me accountable because that always helps me. Um, but yeah, so moving forward, uh, I'm going to try my best but not make any promises. Um, so today's episode um, is Jackson, and Jackson's been, who it's been over a month since he was here, so I'm not too, it's not too fresh in my memory uh, what we talked about um, exactly. What I do remember is that Jackson left me pleasantly surprised um, with his um, relating the steps and his process with, with them. Uh, so I have not listened to this since we recorded it, uh, but in the, uh, effort of releasing an episode, uh, I'm pretty confident that it's a nice, good episode. I don't, I don't remember having to edit anything. So fingers crossed. Um, I left pleasantly surprised and I hope that you will be pleasantly surprised also after listening to this episode. So without further ado, I give you Jackson. All right. What's up, Jackson? Hey, bud. <laughs> this is where we pretend like you hadn't been here for the last 15 minutes. And we like, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, doing all right. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for coming to do this, man. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, Jackson actually was supposed to come um, a month ago. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And then someone had to be all heroic and wonderful yeah that was, that was you yeah thank yeah. you i do what i can now for, for we, we just couldn't record it last time and then i think you spoke at this other place that i asked you to speak at oh, that was a train wreck was, yeah well it wasn't that bad well, yeah, well, i was just getting off of nicotine yeah yeah that's true how's that going yeah it's it's good you know it's it's been about you know three weeks three weeks no nicotine no no nicotine at all mm-hmm we're gonna set the mic up real quick. Um, right here, I'm just kind of speaking. All right, there, there you go. Right here. Yeah. All right. So three weeks, no nicotine. That's that's, you know what? Like, when I got sober, um, you know, everybody does the whole like I'm gonna. A lot of people do. I feel like do the I'm gonna get sober. I'm gonna quit smoking. I'm gonna quit. You know, uh, every bad habit I have. And for me, I was like, I'm going to keep smoking. <laughs> I never did any of that. You know, I was I was like, you know, I never wanted to get sober. I never wanted to do any of that. I mean, honestly, when I did get sober, I was like, no, you're not taking this away from me. Yeah. Like, no, I even did. Um, I uh, played the uh, don't do anything drastic in a year rule. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And then I was just like, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with this. Yeah, well, that makes sense, though. I did the same thing. And I said, oh, I'm going to allow myself to smoke and, and, and kind of take it easy on myself. And uh, that was... Um, so I, and I smoked for the I smoked for the first two years of my sobriety. I smoked, and I was smoking about a pack and a half of uh, I, I smoked those little small seventy two yeah. Marlboros. Yeah, no. Oh, the Reds. I I spent the money. I I got the American Spirits. Oh yeah. 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 I was, I was all about that. See, I quit before those became popular, so I didn't. Get well, to, used like, to uh, when I was cool an, about it. When I just declared yeah. myself a natural smoker, I, yeah. I used to roll my own because oh, wow. it was it was just so much cheaper. Yeah, I mean, you get a, like a sixty dollar, no, thirty dollar ten, and roll out four hundred cigarettes. Wow, you know, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm too lazy for that. No, I I, I was too. Once I, you I mean, know. I probably would have done it to look cool for a little bit, like. For a while, but my laziness would have won out over my desire to look cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. So, so no Nick. That's pretty cool. I, I did the vape for a little while. And yeah. then, and you know what's so crazy? Like, I vaped for three months. I quit smoking. I was five years, no nicotine. And I just recently got into cigars. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, I got into nicotine. So nicotine's the problem. Yeah. It's not the cigarettes. It's not the. That. I got into nicotine when I was 14 when I smoked a cigar. Yeah. And uh, my dad was into cigars. And that's how I got started. And I was telling you earlier at uh, that other place that um, I've got a cigar journal <laughs> that, that my dad has too. Um, yeah. And it was, a, it was a hobby. It was a, a way I got closer to my dad. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. I got, I'm, not, like, I'm not upset that I like cigars. And I'm not like, like I haven't. I, I initially got a humidor and I initially was trying to keep them, but my addictive nature just got the best of me and I was just smoking them way too much. Well, you don't need that. You see, you say, look, humidors are cool. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm, I'm all about the um, cheap, cheap, like kind of, what am I trying to say? MacGyver sort of humidor. So like what I do is I take cigars, I put them in a Ziploc bag. Mm. I take a, a, like a small piece of sponge, uh-huh. I like a cut off. You get that all moist, you squeeze all the moisture out, and you put it in the bag and seal it up. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah, that's cool too, but I'm just like, I just don't want to keep them because mm. if I keep them, it's, 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 uh, it's not good. So what I did recently is I bought, a, I bought a, a, a box of them, and I got half of them at one of my friend's house who smokes, and when I visit with them, I smoke one of those with them, and the other half I'm bringing to another friend who's, who I smoke with. So that's what I'm going to do. But the only fear I have is that I'll relapse on cigarettes. So hopefully that's not a thing. Well, I'll tell you, okay, this is, this, is the, this is the real thing. This is what keeps you from not smoking cigars anymore. Inhale. Mm. Inhale a cigar, like a full inhale. You won't want to do it for a while. Mm. It, okay. It, I'll inhale from time to time. I know, you know, I know you're not supposed oh, to. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. But I'll, like, I'll get it in every now Oh, and my then. God. So, yeah, anyway, so, yeah, so... um. I guess we know each other just kind of through the 12 steps meetings. And mm-hmm. uh, I think your, was your first home group um, Three Legs? Yeah. 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 Uh, and that was my first home group. And I don't know if I was still there when you were coming in. I don't think so. Because I was about three years sober whenever we left that place and we started the other uh, men's meeting. And well, I was, I'm, I've got about just about three and a half years right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so that was a little bit after I left. Yeah. No, I don't remember you there. You're, you, you, 
you're kind of rememberable, not in like the look at that guy, just like uh, look at the short guy, you yeah. know, look uh, at him. <laughs> that guy, that guy is so small. It's so weird. It's, he's so small and so easy to pick out in a crowd. <laughs> yeah. Well. So yeah. So then, I, and I guess, but I do remember you. I guess like I think maybe like coming back to that meeting because for a little while I, I would still go there. And I, I kind of remember you coming in, and then, like, I guess just in the past year or so, I've kind of just noticed that you, you know, there's been some some definite, like, changes. So I was like, let me get this guy to come on the podcast and talk it's about those changes. Really weird. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, so, um, so if you want, you can go ahead and start talking about, just tell your story like you would anywhere else, uh, or not anywhere else, because this is, you know, there's a lot more freedom here. There really is. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. No, yeah, um, it's interesting. Um, so here in New Orleans, there's like a whole community of people. I mean, like it, it's different growing up here versus being from here versus like being born and raised here. So I, I was born here. My my mom's whole side of the family's from here and all that. Um, but uh, my parents are teachers. And uh, if you know anything about that, you just kind of go where the work is. Yeah. And so uh, the work brought us to... Uh, Dayton, Ohio, which oh. is, you know, it's a little different, but, um, you know, I was about five when I was there and, uh, that's really where I grew up. Um, you know, we, we went to this, uh, very small, um, private school and, and I was able to go there cause my dad was a teacher mm. and that was the only way I was able to go there. I mean, this place was like nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, we, the, each class was like 50 people and that was like crazy yeah you know like just just 50 people oh my in God. one class yeah my class is like 30s tops i think that's usually the number though isn't that usually the number like 30 they say like you can't have too many in a class or else it gets too disruptive or something oh i'm not talking about a classroom i oh. mean like the entire grade <laughs> oh okay is yeah. 50 people well that's small like but look I, i'll have to one up you my high school was like 35 people in my class mm. It was a little small, small cool. town in the yeah. middle of nowhere. Uh, in the, wait, more middle of nowhere than Ohio? Middle of nowhere, Louisiana. I don't really know what that means. I mean, it was yeah. like a little small country town. All right, all right. Like, I mean, li like not like a suburb of any big city. It was a town in the middle of Louisiana. Like it was. We were the parish seat of that of the whole parish, so the the courthouse was there, but we were still. Super like thousand people population. That's not bad. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty small. That's, but I know what it's yeah, like yeah. going to a small school, and and I and I I think it's funny. It's interesting. I've never really heard the perspective of a teacher's son. I've had. Oh yeah. I've, I've been in classes where like the teacher, one of the teacher's sons or daughters were in my classroom, and I never really considered what that was like. It's weird. And um, even later on in my story, you will know that uh, he was the principal, and that was fun. Oh wow! You know, but yeah, um, you know, but 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 what I'm trying to get at is uh, these. I, I went there from kindergarten through twelfth grade. Yeah, and um, there was like this club called like the Lifers Club, and it meant like someone who was there from kindergarten through twelfth grade. Oh, and the majority <laughs> of my class they they stayed there. Like I basically grew up with all these same people. And throughout time, it it it, it was incredible because like um, you know, all of elementary school or, or what we call lower school, you know, everyone's nice. You know, there's really you got the childhood innocence and all of that stuff, you yeah. know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, 
then once I got to middle school, man, everything changed. Yeah. I don't know if it was puberty. I don't know what it was what, but I mean, it was, you know, no one uh, really would want to hang out with me. I was a weird kid, which, yeah, I'm a weird kid, but you know, <laughs> I, it's different saying that now than it was then, you know, yeah. you know, I, um, around that time, I also got uh, diagnosed with depression, um, and anxiety and, uh, since birth, basically, I've had ADHD. Yeah, that's such. A, that is a weird time in your life too. Mm-hmm. So much is like changing. I mean, I, when I think about it, I'm like, maybe it was puberty. I have no idea. Yeah. But you know, not only puberty and all that, but uh, you know, I, I started going on antidepressants. Um, I started taking uh, Adderall. Mm-hmm. You know, for actually legitimate reasons. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting. I've never misused that. Wow. Because it it literally did work for me. Yeah. You know, but, um, and so like they would come get you, would they come get you out of class to go take your meds at the principal's, like in the, at the principal's office sometimes? Cause I remember some yes. kids who had it. Yes. That was always um, a thing. It's like, they got to go take their meds. Well, see, I, I just went to my dad's office, which oh. yeah, the principal's office, but yeah, still <laughs> no, um, you know, later on I got to have like the extended release or whatever. So that wasn't an issue anymore, but, um, middle school, man. Okay. Everything was, you know, crazy and you know and at at this point you know I realized that I wanted someone to care you know so like but like I was too afraid to initiate that so like anxiety and depression is like the worst combination ever because it's like you know you feel terrible but like you're too afraid to do anything about it Mm -hmm. so like um at at first I used to like be like you know um wear band-aids and stuff you know waiting for someone to be like oh what happened but no one no one cared I think even like for a week I uh (laughs) I uh wore a band-aid on my forehead yeah. And um like without a cut. Yeah, without a cut. And they would say <laughs> what happened and I'll like, I tripped in the shower. You oh, know, wow. like that was like who like that was just stupid. Yeah. I mean like, you know, once the band-aid was off, like there was nothing there, you know. It, <laughs> you know, it was it was dumb. That miraculous healing powers. Yeah. No scars. You know, and middle school relationships, which is, you know, you pass a piece of paper and you're like, Will you be my girlfriend? Yes, no, mm-hmm. and then they say yes and you're like, Oh, guess I got a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's cool. You know. So you had some of those? Yeah. Yeah. Some lasted for a couple of days. You know, <laughs> some, uh, the, the, the longest one I ever had was two weeks. Oh, nice. Yeah. That was, uh, committed. Yeah. That was, um, God, what was her name? I don't know. They were actually twins. I dated both of them. <laughs> um, one was a week lo- longer, but anyways, um, then high school comes, you know? Yeah. Um, shit got real, you know? Uh, the depression was way more, you know, everyone was changing, you know, um, this was when my father was the principal. No one wants to hang out with the principal's son. Yeah. Um, and this is also such a small class that like, you know, I had like maybe two friends, Yeah. you know, and, um, this is, you know, the, you know, the sexual awakening, you know, in most kids' lives. And, you know, I just thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. And I discovered that I was great at manipulating. Mm-hmm. Like I had, uh, and, it, and the weirdest thing is like, I wasn't very like sexual, sexual, but like if I made out with a girl, it was like conquest. Yeah. So like I had a string of those and, and that was all great. And, um, I started, uh, you know, really get feeling down and I started cutting myself. And at first it was just kind of like, as a show of like, you know, look at me, you know, and all of that stuff. And a couple of times, you know, it really, it really got bad. Yeah. Well, how was that like? So. I mean, so did you ever, did you hear about cutting? You know, at, at first someone was talking about it. And I remember in middle school, someone was like getting so much attention over it. 
Yeah. So like the middle school and high school was like, I wanted that attention. Yeah. You know, um, it became, you know, a lot worse later on in my life, which I'll definitely get to that. But you know, it, it, it at first was an attention seeking. So you saw somebody do this. Like, I'm always curious how that comes about. Somebody, if that's just something that occurs to people and, or if it's just like the stigma of like, if, if someone's cutting themselves, they're really depressed and they're so sad and all that. So, so like if someone sees that they're like, Oh, poor you, you know, yeah. that, that kind of a thing. Um, you know, uh, high school, you know, it went as well as high school went. Um, I actually had a, uh, a real, real girlfriend, you know, like the kind where you don't feel bad about saying you're in love. Yeah. That kind of thing. I mean, this was like, uh, to my knowledge, this is, this was love. Yeah. Um, and around the, you know, towards the end of middle school, uh, a, a new headmaster came to the school and he wanted to change everything in the school. Mm-hmm. My father was the last thing in his way from changing everything. Yeah. So I forgot to set the timer. No, sorry. Uh, just keep going. I'll let you know how much you got. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just about to get to the real good part. Yeah. So you're 15 minutes in. Oh, boy. Let's okay. fast forward. Um, and so just all right. do math. <laughs> um. So my father was the last thing in his way from changing the whole school. I was a... Um, of the headmasters. Yeah. I was a year away from graduating high school. He went up to my father and said, I'm going to let you stay one more year so your son can graduate. After that, you're done. Uh-huh. Um, so my high school year, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where my parents were going to live. I didn't know where I was going for college. I didn't know what I was going to do for college. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my girlfriend. Uh-huh. Um. I found, um, uh, coincidentally, um, my dad found work back in New Orleans. My mother was adamant about not going back because she grew up in New Orleans and it was really hard for her. Um, you know, addiction runs in the family. My grandfather was an alcoholic. His father was an alcoholic. My mother's an alcoholic. Um, my cousin is an alcoholic and addict. Uh, my other cousin is an alcoholic. Um, then we got some on the dad's side, but not as many. Uh-huh. Um, she didn't want that climate, you know. Um, but they didn't have a choice, you know, so, uh, my father and, uh, sister went back, you know, to start the new school year. My mother and I stayed in Ohio to sell the remainder of the possessions yeah. and sell the house. So this is after you graduate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like probably a month after, um, she was an emotional wreck. She couldn't do anything. So I sold all the possessions in the house. Um, and there was all the, it was all priceless stuff that you don't want to sell. Um, I even sold the house. Uh, A woman came up, said she wanted to buy the house. I said, no, that's great. You know, and after all this, um, my girlfriend came over and she was standing in the driveway. And after I said goodbye, I went straight to college. That was the last time I ever saw her. Oh, wow. Um, At college, I was... uh, Where'd you go to... So did you come to university here? No. You stayed up there? I went to a, a... College in North Carolina. Okay. Um, I don't know. It just seemed small and it seemed like a good fit. Yeah. Um, but when I arrived at college, I was, I was so broken, man. I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, about a week after I got into college, I broke up with my girlfriend, mainly because I knew that I was going to cheat on her. Hmm. I just knew it. So I decided to do what the right thing I was. I, I don't know. I broke up with her. Yeah. You know, um, in the second week, uh, Someone asked me if I'd ever gotten high before. And I was like, no, I haven't. And then uh, they were smoking weed, and they said, tilt your head back. And I said, yeah, sure. And they shotgunned me 
and uh, that was awesome, man. Yeah. So, so this up until this point, you had you hadn't had any drugs. I remember aside um, from your prescriptions, right? And drinking? Had you drank yet? Yeah, I had actually, but it wasn't a wasn't a real problem. Yeah. You know, so throughout my life, I, I've been having like they would have me let me have sips, you know, here and there, and I would always be like, nope, I don't like it. Yeah. Um, wasn't until one time. Uh, so again, when I said I was a great manipulator. Um, I sat my parents down and I said, mom, dad, I think it's really important that I get drunk in a controlled setting. Yeah. You know, so they, <laughs> they allowed me to get drunk there. You know, later on, I even went up to them and said, mom, dad, I think it's really important that I try a cigarette in a controlled setting. What? Like, they, like literally <laughs> this, this, this. And they were like, sure, here's a cigarette. Well, cause I was like, I'll go get it myself. Yeah. You know, and that's also, I conned them into getting my first tattoo. Like I'm going to go find my own parlor Yeah. and, you know, do this. Like it, that's, that's the way I was able to get things. Wow. And I always knew that like, I, I blamed it on my medication, believe it or not. Cause every time I drank, I seemed to get drunk mm-hmm. and I, I equated it to like the medication made one drink feel like three or yeah. something like that. Really? <laughs> I mean. It could have been that. I don't know. But I think really, I, I just didn't have an off switch. Yeah. I always got drunk every mm-hmm. time I would drink. So I wouldn't drink. And I was able to think in my head that it was the medication. You know, it, it just didn't work out. Yeah. And that was the, you know, ADD meds. Um, so in college, I stopped taking the ADD meds. Um, mainly because I was just like, you know, screw it. People are just trying to get it, you know, for their classes oh, and all yeah. that stuff. Oh, God, so, and yeah. I was tired of having to find a doctor to get a prescription because cross lines, trying to control, do a controlled substance, cross lines. is just ridiculous. So I stopped taking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, started drinking, you know, and, uh, it really wasn't that big a deal. You know, you, you go to a party and all that. Um, and I started smoking a lot of pot and, um, I started getting with a lot of girls. I, I was trying to feel something inside me that I didn't know what wasn't there. Um, during this time, um, my, uh, I got a call that my, my grandfather had been diagnosed with stage four cancer, mm-hmm. lung cancer. Um, then, uh, that Christmas, um, and, and then my college career was lasted three semesters. So during this three semester period, um, my, uh, one of my friends that I met at college, and I didn't—I don't have a lot of friends. He uh, killed himself. He was someone like me, who was trying to fill a void, trying to fill it with alcohol or other drugs. Um, and I was defeated, man. I, I was trying to find something. Um, I started cutting a lot, to the point where um, I couldn't make a distinction between ever or. To this day, when I see blood on myself, I, I get a euphoric feeling. Oh, wow. Because it, it's, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, uh, I called it a physical proof of mental anguish. You know, um, I, was, I was, you know, during that time period, I also got even hit by a car just trying to go get some chocolate milk at one point. Um, I, was, I was convinced that I was destined to be, to, to experience this way. Um, the last time I saw my grandfather, um, or the last chance I got to see my grandfather, I uh, decided not to go because I was having fun with friends. Mm. You know, they had just pulled out some vodka, and I was like, I'm not leaving anywhere. This is it. Um, the next time I saw him, he couldn't remember me. He didn't know who I was, and I saw him take his last breath. That, that's something that I remember. Yeah. Um, 
I knew that if I was going to stay in college, I was going to kill myself. Um, I'd seen what that does to people on the receiving end. Um, it's my, uh, one of my family members called it a, a permanent solution to a, a temporary problem. Mm. You know, um, I knew that I couldn't do that to my family. So I told them, if you don't come pick me up, I'm going to kill myself. So they came and picked me up and they said, what are you going to do now? And honestly, someone had just mentioned that they were making a sculpture doing welding. And I said, I'll do welding. Yeah. Um, so we tried that for a little while, but, um, so what did you, you went to one of those like technical schools. Yeah. I was at Delgado yeah. for a little while, but, um, it was like, as soon as I stepped foot on uh, New Orleans soil, um, I went, I went for alcohol. Yeah. I mean, just That's as soon. What you do here. Well, I mean, sort and of. what's interesting <laughs> about it, my, and, and what I remember is I'd always gone from one, a quote addiction to another. Like at first it was like girls and it was like video games and then it was like cutting, then it was marijuana and then it was cutting again and then it was more girls and it was alcohol. Yeah. You know, that, that's just my MO. You know, if this isn't working for me, I'm going to go find something else. Yeah. Welding hungover is really not fun. Uh, it, it's hot. It's, it's bright. It's really, really warm. It's loud. And it, so I got, I've had almost finished the program. I was three classes away and I dropped out. Yeah, dude, I used to work. I used to work at a, a fab shop, and I was a, a, a welder's helper. Um, and I did some welding, and I probably if I'd have worked there longer, I'd eventually got into like welding, like as a welder, because I would have just learned as an like I guess through apprenticeship or whatever. But I know I used to show up to that job hungover, yeah, and just hating life. Yeah. It was the worst. It was like one of the worst. I mean, I guess they one of the worst periods of my life, but I just remember I was living in Lafayette and working like in the old field at this, you know, this place that did welded things for the old field and welding hungover. You're right. is like mm -hmm. the worst. It's terrible. Sweating, alcohol, uh, just mm -hmm. oozing out of your pores. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's no fun. So I also, uh, uh, during, right before I quit the welding, um, uh, a job kind of fell on my lap and it was like a small local owned po boy shop. And, um, so that's where I was making quote money, Yeah, you know, but, um, I always found it interesting that I never made enough, you know, I, someone asked, you know, I'd be like, I'm not making enough money. And they'd be like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I can only go to the grocery and, and then it's all gone. You know, I never really stopped and thought, well, what am I buying at, yeah. at the grocery? <laughs> you know, um, and it was actually hilarious because uh, I got all my booze from Costco because uh -huh. <laughs> um, I had a Costco card. Well, actually, no, I didn't. I was using my mom's. Um, and let's say, like, um, rum was my thing. All right. Let's say I wanted some rum and Coke. I go to Costco, and I get, I get two bottles of rum, and I just wanted, like, a 12-pack of Coke. But they don't sell 12 packs of Coke. They sell, like, 40 cases. They sell pallets of Coke. <laughs> so in my cart would be two bottles of rum, and a pallet of coke a pallet come on like how much is it like a pallet of coke no. yeah and and uh every time i go to the checkout you know they'd look at me weird like is, is this all you want i'm like i just want some fucking rum and coke what's wrong with you you know like you know and uh, i mean i i calculated later on in my life i was spending about you know 250 dollars a week weekend really because i would you know you can't really do too much damage during the week but yeah enough 
No, uh, you spend a lot of money on alcohol, and it, it, it always amazes me. Even really, in, in all honesty, like, even once I got sober, uh, and it took me a while to, like, learn how to save money, too, you know, because I'm always amazed how people, how people, or I'll, I've always been amazed at how people can, like, manage a lot, like, not a whole lot of money and and survive and live comfortably and still manage to put money aside. It's a skill mm-hmm. that like I've always been impressed with, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was drinking a lot and um, like I said before, my mother's an alcoholic too, mm-hmm. and uh, it was cute for a little while. We would when we would drink together. Um, my dad. One time we found my dad's old breathalyzer from uh, when he was principal and doing prom. And. Um, he would, uh, we would uh, try and compete for the highest number with his breathalyzer, and uh-huh. I, I would always win. <laughs> but you know, it was stupid stuff like that. Um, really, what it was is um, my mother and I. We were trying to, uh, what's the right word, help each other, but we were also both raging alcoholics. Yeah. So it would come across of instead of, hey, I'm hurting, and I know you're hurting too. Let's help each other. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a codependent. It I mean, came okay. out as my mother like sobbing. Don't look at me. <laughs> Don't look at me. I'm not a good excuse. Don't look at me. And and then and there would be other moments. You know, you know. I I won't forget this. Um, my mom once told me, "You're not the son I raised." And I looked at her in the eyes and I said, "I'm the only son you got." So what are you gonna do? Hmm. You know, there was another time when my sister came in. She was trying to get you know bond or whatever. And she's younger than me, and um, we apparently she's been trying to watch this movie with me, and trying to watch a movie while drinking is is, is terrible. It takes like three weeks to watch one movie, and um, you know she'd be like, you know, Jackson, we we watched this last night, and she looked and she you know she was having a serious moment. She said, "Is this what it's going to be like?" And I looked at her and I said, "Yeah," and I kept drinking. You know, there were moments like that. Um, it got to a point where liquor was creating some very serious problems for me. Um, one night when I was out uh, drinking at a bar by my house, um, there was a girl. Um, I still don't know entirely what happened. Um, I think we were so drunk that she passed out at the next bar, and I left her there and went home. But. What my parents told me was that I was, I kept saying, like, she kept saying no, and I said yes, and, and that scared the shit out of me. So I literally poured down liquor, poured it down the drain, you know, and said, I'm done with the liquor. Yeah, you know? that's the problem. So then I went to beer. Um, and beer, you, it takes more beer to get drunk, you know? <clears throat> so um, I started stealing from my job. You know, I started taking beer. I wasn't taking money. I was taking beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was taking a couple six-packs at a time, drinking at least three beers on the job, um, and just repeat. You know, every once in a while, they'd ask for inventory. Let's say uh, there's uh, two packs of Dixie. I mean, three, you know, one and a half packs of Dixie, yeah. you know? And that was that. Was that. You know, um, I remember was, uh, the, the days where I didn't drink was when the hangover was so bad. I just, I just couldn't stomach it, man. And I would still go into work. How else are you going to make that money? You know, my, my hangover rituals were just wake up. Okay, good. Put your, put your feet on the ground. Okay, good. Good. 
go drink some water. Good, good. All right, try and eat something. You can only get one bite? Okay, that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know, you just go through the motions. And as soon as I got to work, I'd, I'd drink some salt water because that's what I remember my grandfather telling me. Salt water? Pure electrolytes, man. It's flavorless, sugarless Gatorade. It tastes like shit, but it, it gets the job done. Dude, that's literally the first time I've ever heard anybody say that. Are you sure? You, have, you ever Googled that to it's verify? It's really good, man. It, it's salt water. It gets you. It gets you hydrated quick. I don't know about that. It, it worked <laughs> for me. I mean, maybe, it worked I for know. me. I mean, maybe that's true. I always thought drinking salt water dehydrated you. Well, right, but, you know, there's like, you know, you open a bottle of water, you pour a little salt in it, you shake it up. All right. Like that. That's anyways. good to know if I ever go back out. Yeah, anyways. Um, <laughs> I never was an alcoholic. Yeah. Because I didn't live under a bridge. I didn't have a big, massive beard. I didn't do drugs. I wasn't homeless. And I didn't burn all my bridges. Yeah. Life was still life. You know, life sucked. I wanted to die every day, but it was, I wasn't that. Yeah. You know? And, it, I mean, imagine alcohol. I mean, shit, dude. Probably helped you along the way, right? Yeah. Um, oh, and the other qualification was that I didn't shit my pants. I was, that oh, was yeah. it. Pee or shit my pants. Nope. No, sh- that's good. No. Um, I thought I never shit my pants, I don't think. Until <laughs> one morning, I woke up from a particularly bad hangover. And, you know, you kind of look around to, like, get your bearings look down, shoes are still on, jeans are on, shit, you know, I must have drank it too much, you know, uh-huh. when you look over, you can still see there's alcohol in your cup, you know, you had a lot, um, and I was, and I was like, man, why is my ass, like, chafe, oh, god, I shit my pants, damn, and I thought to myself, no, 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 we can do this, let's just throw away the underwear, go quick, take a quick shower, put the same jeans back on, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, and get yeah. to work, Yikes. So I went to work with uh, poop caked jeans all day. Wow. And even when I found out, I didn't care. Wow. You know? This happened again, too. Wow. And I still was like, I'm not an alcoholic. I even Googled, are you an alcoholic? And took alcoholic quizzes. (laughs) I always won. I always got the, you're an alcoholic, dude. Go to an AA meeting. Yeah. Every time, you know? But I wasn't able to like just be honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Now one day, um, I only had to open up the restaurant, and this was a hangover day. This means everything sucks, everything's terrible. I'm about to die. But I got through the whole day, and you know, usually these days I don't drink. I don't know what happened, but one moment I was finishing up work, the next I was sitting down at the bar with a beer in my hand. I don't remember how it happened. I know it did. Next thing I know, I was not in control of my body. Like, it was like I was looking through my eyes, but I was not in control of my body. I saw myself go, drive over to Winn-Dixie, get a couple uh, four-packs of uh, the um, Mecca IPA Double Imperial, you know, that, that was, they came in pint, pint cans, and I always got two four-packs. And I was, and that was my lunch, pretty much. You know, I was driving home, and I live across the river, which is a good 20, 25 minutes away. And the whole ride, I was telling myself, don't do this. Like, you know exactly what's going to happen. You're going to get way too drunk. You're going to pass out. You're going to wake up. You're going to drink more. You're going to pass out. And then you're going to do it all over again the next day. And I was telling myself, pull over, throw them out the window, crash into a car, get a cop's attention. 
just don't do this. And the whole way home, you know, I did that. You know, I parked my car in the driveway. Because you were wanting not to drink? Yeah. I just knew what was going to happen, you know? Yeah. But I did it anyways. Yeah. Like, I knew nothing good was going to happen of it. But, like, I just had to do it. Um, shortly after that moment, um, I had given up. You know, I, I, had, I had honestly declared it my master. And I gave in. And what that means is I started drinking, you know, wine for breakfast. Like, a, I call it a Costco bottle of wine. You know, like mm-hmm. the massive, like you took two bottles of wine, you smack yeah. and get maybe three. That was my breakfast. I would drink one of those. And I thought that was okay because people drink mimosas for breakfast. So like, that's fine. And I would eat like maybe some oatmeal. And then around 12 o'clock, I would start drinking beer. And I'd usually drink two of those four packs of the pints, maybe like one and a half. And I go take a nap, and then around four, or four uh, thirty, if I was being generous, I'd start drinking the heavy stuff. You know, like I was done, man. I was yeah. just—I didn't care. You know, I was just gonna do it. Yeah. Um, I really don't know how I didn't go. I didn't have any alcohol poisoning. I really don't. Um, I don't. I've been told it's because I'm young or whatnot. I mean, this is all. You know, I'm, I'm 22 at this point. Yeah. You know, and this is what I'm doing. Um, and I just, something was wrong with my life. And alcohol was making it just a little better. It, it, it's kind of like, this is one of the things I heard from someone. When you, when it's raining and you're driving in your car, and there's a bridge. And you drive under that bridge for a brief moment. It's silent. Hmm. You don't hear the raindrops anymore. It's, it's just kind of blissful. It's like going on, it's like when you're on a roller coaster and it goes up that ramp and you just feel zero gravity. Like that, that's kind of what I got with drinking. Like it, it didn't last for very long, but if I, if, you know, if I kind of nurtured it a little bit, maybe I could get a little something. Yeah. That, that's what it was for me. Um, I knew something was wrong. Drinking was always there. So maybe, AA or something else could help me, you know, because you look at TV and, you know, if something or, or in the news or anything like that, you know, when you have a problem with substances or, yeah. or alcohol, you go to one of those places. So that's where you had heard from TV. You didn't yeah. know anybody that had gone. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Your mom had never went? No. No. Um, many, you know, years later, I found out that my grandfather had attempted it. Yeah. He, he didn't do it, you know. Um, so I went, you know, on online, and I just typed in, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And um, I found one. I don't know what it was called. It was on a Wednesday at 12 o'clock. And um, I just decided, yeah, we'll, we'll go try it out. You know, I was going to brush up on my knowledge, so I found a... Uh, you know, the literature that they use for AA, found an app on my phone and it read it out loud. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, as I was listening to this while drinking a uh, Mardi Gras cup of wine, um, you know, I was like scoffing, like, <laughs> this guy's stupid. And then I was listening and I was like, fuck, they're kind of describing me. Like, oh shit, you know, this isn't what it's supposed to be like, you know. So I went to that, that small meeting and it was full of old people. Like, literally, exactly, you know, just 
five people, 60 plus. Yeah. And they were all like, oh my God, it's a new kid and he's in here and he's, <laughs> and they were like, and then all they were talking about was like their war stories and all that. And it made my alcoholic definition, you know, feasible. Cause they were like, no, I have never, my, me personally, I've never gotten in trouble with the law. No DUIs, um, no possessions, no accidents, mm-hmm. no anything, not even a traffic ticket. I mean, like... And I'm, how old were you, 2022? 20, 22, you know? Wow. I, I was squeaky clean, you know? So I didn't relate to any of that. Dude, I, I went <laughs> on my way back. I went and got, you know, more beer, and I was drinking it on my way home, you know? Like, screw this. Yeah. I'm done, you know? Um, at the high school where my father is now working at, um, there was a... Uh, they call it in the in the community. They call it a CPCPI meeting, or yeah, and basically they they teach professionals and other people about treatment, um, addiction, and all of that. And um, my mother was there too. She was as a sub, and uh, she took down this guy's number, and um, she said, "My son is an alcoholic, and I don't know what to do." And this guy gave him her, her number, and he said, you know, give it to him. So I got this piece of paper in my drawer, and, I, and little did I know, but that that's um, my ticket, you know? That's my ticket to recovery. <laughs> wow. I had no idea about it, you know? I, How long I, was it in your drawer? You know, it maybe three months. Wow, just sitting there. Yeah, like literally just sitting there. I mean, I never went through my drawer, so there's like a whole bunch of stuff in there. There's actually my secret compartment, which is, is like, it looks like one drawer, but it's actually two drawers, and it has like a really deep bottom. Uh-huh. And that's where I kept my beer, my emergency beer. But now that's where you keep all your money, so now I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. But um, yeah, that was, that's my, that's my ticket, you know, to getting sober. And um Finally, one night, I don't remember what night it was. It doesn't matter. It was dark outside. I called this, this number, this stranger. Complete stranger. I don't do this, you know? I didn't have friends. I didn't have close acquaintances, let alone in New Orleans. It was only family, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I got this, hello? <laughs> and I'm just like, hello. So they answered. Yeah. This, this, they answered a call, a number they didn't recognize. They, they, yeah. They, they, and then I said, this is, uh, this is Jackson. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, buddy, how are you? And I'm like, my mom gave me this. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah? How, how are you? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, I don't want to talk like this. And he's like, well, let's pick me up um, at this address, you know, you good tomorrow or whatever? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And so there I go to pick up some stranger, you know, the next day. Dude, dude gets out of a fucking yoga studio wearing a tank top, a scruffy beard, and a top bun. <laughs> and he's getting in my car. I'm like, who the fuck are you? And what the fuck? And he's like, yeah, let's go get some coffee. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So we went to the coffee shop and he's so like, yeah, the- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we're at this coffee shop and he's like, um, so what's going on? And I'm like, dude, I just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but, uh, you know, something's wrong and alcohol has something to do with it. 
And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I feel you. I felt like that before. And he goes on to tell me his, you know, his abridged story. Mm-hmm. This guy, holy crap. He's done drugs. He's done prostitutes. He's been <laughs> arrested. He went to a psych ward and a treatment center. Keep in mind that, you know, the 22-year-old who's never gotten any trouble with yeah. didn't do any drugs. I mean, like pot, but I mean, come on. Uh, never gone to treatment, you know. And, he, and this guy. So he's talking all this stuff. And then he's like, you know, do you mind dropping me off at, at a meeting? And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, this guy needs fucking help. I need to bring him to this meeting. You know, I didn't really know he had like two and a half years or something like that. I'm just like, this guy needs help. And he's like, hey, do you want to come in for a little bit? And we got some coffee. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I went and sat in a corner. It was in the front row, actually, now that I think about it. Um, but like all the way to the side. And I had a, I had a handkerchief. And I was leaning forwards. And I was just nodding the, the handkerchief, like just kneading at my hands. I was sweating profusely. I was shaking. I was freaking out. And um, the meeting started. And these people were saying things you just don't tell people that. Like, they were saying things you just don't tell people. You keep that inside. You leave it there. You don't ever talk about it. (laughs) Ever. And here they were talking openly about Mm -hmm. it. And laughing. And, um, you know, a bunch of people came up to me after the meeting because that's what they do, you know. You go and see the, you know, the newcomer. And you try and help him. I said, hey, how are you? Whatever. And... I was honest and I was like, I've wanted to kill myself every day for the past three years. And they laughed at me, you know, <laughs> we've been there too. Yeah. We understand that. I'm like, no, you don't. You know, Not, what, no, they didn't laugh at you. They laughed with me or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Some people understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I went up to that guy and I said, you're finding your own ride. I'm leaving. I'm done. You know, this is ridiculous. And he said, he looked at me, he said, do you think you're going to drink tonight? And I said, yeah, probably. And he said, okay. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, yeah, you can do that. But you've just been preaching this whole time about how you can't drink or you're going to die. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's me. You can do whatever you want. If you want help, give me a call. But otherwise, you know, we'll be here. And, you know, I was like, that motherfucker. You know, he thinks he's all that. You know, I, you know, I came home. My parents were like, oh, how was it? How was it? You know, like they're looking for like a light bulb in my mind or whatever. I had a bottle of Sailor Jerry. And I'm like, they said I could drink. <laughs> Slam the door. You know, start drinking. Wow. You know, that guy said, do you think you could give me a ride to another meeting? And I was like thinking in my head, oh, my God, this guy has no life. <laughs> You know, but like, what the fuck else was I going to do? You know, so I, dro- I drove him to another meeting. This was uh, another day. This is the next, uh, it's like two days later. Yeah. And I drove him to another meeting. And he asked me, you know, another day, do you mind driving him to a meeting? And, and this not- whole time you're leaving these meetings and still drinking? No. Because I found out that he kept calling at strategic fucking times. Uh, prime drinking time. Yeah. You know, will you please bring me to this meeting? Because, I mean... I'm not, you know, because at this point, you know, if I took one sip, I'm done. Yeah. You know, I, I can't get I can't get behind a car. Like, literally, I, I, I wouldn't. Be, yeah. I, it got to the point where, like, my drinking was so quick that, like, I could go one to 600 in, like, probably an hour. Yeah. Or, you know, 30 minutes, something like that. So, 
he kept doing that um, until finally during the meeting, uh, one of the meetings, people said, are um, all those willing and able to sponsor? Please raise your hand. I was looking around, and the guy who I've been bringing to meetings and who I've been talking to rose his hand. And as I was driving him home, I said, uh, do you think you can sponsor me? And he said, are you willing and able to do anything it takes to stay sober? And I was like, eh, no, but <laughs> I mean, I guess. I mean, I'm not going like, to kill someone or rob a bank. And he was like, that's good enough. Are you going to help someone else after you get this? And I said, yes. And next thing I know, I'm doing steps. All right. You know, I have someone accountable for, you know, or um, he's accountable to me or whatever, vice versa. And I was in it. All right. All right. Well, cool. That's a good place for us to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, back from break. Um, so I think we left off. You were super weird uh, man bun guy. Oh, yeah. Don't forget yoga. Yoga man bun Who's guy. A yogi? Who keeps bumming rides from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny because I know him. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, get a little bit closer to the mic. Yeah. If you need to, like, scoot forward, that way when you lean back, there you go. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Good. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, so, what happened once uh, you decided to go work steps with this guy, with this weirdo? He changed. He, he became much more serious, <laughs> you know? So like- I mean, it was literally so, like, when he asked me, you know, when I asked him if I could do this, you know, he looked at me and his demeanor was different. He's like, will you do anything it takes to stay sober? Will you, will you do blah, blah, blah. He's like, boom, I got it. I'm him. just like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I guess. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, let's do this. Um, you know, it's interesting. When, when, you're, when you have a sponsor, when you're going to meetings, and you decide to do this thing, and you still can't admit you're an alcoholic. Wow. Like still for about a week or two, I couldn't admit I was an alcoholic. I couldn't admit that... Um, I was powerless over something that had ruled my life. Yeah. You know, um, well, just real quick to clarify, uh, what a sponsor, what does a sponsor do? So the sponsor is, um, so basically when you're going through the steps and someone, okay, this is okay. Wait, I got the perfect analogy. Let's say you want to fly a helicopter. Uh huh. Okay. You can either go watch some YouTube videos of people flying helicopters. You can, go get a book, like a manual, for the helicopter. Or you can find someone who has been flying helicopters for a number of years and also has a manual. Which is the best option? Um, I don't know, man. YouTube is like... Yeah, a- <laughs> yeah right? No. So that's, that's, that's basically what a sponsor is. Yeah. A sponsor is someone who has been doing this and has the manual with him. Yeah. And he is... Guiding you through this manual. Yeah. And the 12 steps are basically a path that we take to get sober. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So so when we get to step one, you know, it's kind of what the, you know, in, in pop culture and stuff, they're like, oh, accepting your powerless is the first step. You know, it, it wasn't just that because it's a two-parter. You know, it says 
we're powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. Mm-hmm. How, but my life was manageable through alcohol. I thought, yeah, you know, but it wasn't until, you know, I was actually, uh, in a meeting and it was the first meeting I decided to go to for my own volition. Like this guy, Sean, who, who's the sketchy guy. Um, <laughs> your sketchy sponsor. Oh yeah. It's super sketchy. Um, <laughs> Sean didn't ask me to go to this. He didn't, he didn't have a ride, you know, any of that. It was none of that. It was just, I went to a meeting and on, your own. on my own. And I was listening to this person share. And this person was having a terrible day. I mean, Jesus Christ, this woman, you know, like had like cancer scares and like she drunk, drank a baby to death or something like that. I mean, it, wow. it, it was crazy. And then she goes, but I'm so glad to be here, you know? in this fellowship with these people, I'm sober today, you know, and that's incredible. And I was just like, what the fuck? I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Like, I don't know what it was, but it was like listening to that share made me be like, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I kind of want that. Yeah. You know, just feel content. We call that serenity, but like just be okay. Yeah. You know, and, and I went up to this person and, uh, um, and I was like, I know you don't know me at all, but like you just convinced me I was an alcoholic. <laughs> and you're like, oh, thanks, you know. And uh, this this person's actually Brandy, oh, okay. and she just had a baby, which is Amazing. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I, and I called, <laughs> texted my sponsor, like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I, uh, step one. And he's like, Yeah, I know. <laughs> Let's do step two. <laughs> I'm like, That's okay. Awesome. You know, we were at um, this, this coffee shop, and he was like, "All right, you think that uh, think that something great in yourself could help you stay sober, or sane?" And I was like, "Theoretically, if someone believed in something greater than themselves, technically, it would help them." Yeah. And he goes, "Okay." Step three. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it works. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so funny. I always say this quote is similar to that. I think it's like that. I heard somebody say. Uh, I think I heard him say that at. Uh, at one of your uh, one of the groups that you call a home group and uh it was but it was years ago and it was i was already like a few years sober but i remember that resonating with me so hard because he kind of put into words the attitude i i had like given to the higher power thing because i had always said like dude if if it's just a mental trick that if i believe in something then think that if i'm just fooling myself it's better than forcing myself like or, or to like rejecting it and mm-hmm. still living a shitty life mm-hmm. and uh this guy said what if there is no god but there exists uh infinite benefit in believing in one yeah they're like that's pretty profound yeah you know so yeah we're at step three which is the you know made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to our care of god as we understood him yeah i believed a hundred percent that there was a malevolent force held into my own misery. That's the reason why these things have happened to me throughout my life. Um, you know, that's the reason why my grandfather died. That's the reason why we had to leave. That's why my friend killed himself. That's why I got hit by a car. That's why I got, uh, almost died from pneumonia when I was in high school. That's why I fell through a sheet of ice in high school. That's why I, you know, it, it keeps going, you know, it was the only thing that made sense. Um, so to me, Something that was helping me made no sense. How could I turn my will over to something like that? You know, 
And then um, he told me to get down on my hands and knees, or just my knees, hands, no, hands were in prayer mode, anyways. Um, and we recited the prayer, uh, this, um, you know, which basically, you know, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me the bondage of self that I may better, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, um, and he made me do that in public, too. That was really fun. And he said, just <laughs> pray to something. And I said, okay. Um, the first conception of a higher power for me was uh, the radio. And reason being, um, I didn't have a fancy car. I didn't have the cool thing where your phone connects to it. You just turn on the radio and hope for the best. Yeah. And um, music is such a powerful thing. You know, it, when you're sad, it makes, it, it makes way too much sense. You know, when you're happy, it feels alive, you know. And to me, radio always played what I needed to hear. And so literally what I would do, um, I would turn the car on, and as soon as I, uh, right before I turned on the power button for the radio, I put my hand on it, and I'd say, all right, I'm ready. And I'd turn on the radio, and it would be like, perfect. Yeah. Like, when I, when I left that uh, first AA meeting I went to with all the old people, um, Evanescence, uh, Wake Me Up Inside, played on the radio, and I used <laughs> to be like, shut the fuck up, you don't know my life, you know, just like, how dare you, you're like, I literally talked to it, you know, I believed in it, but, you know. So that was my first instance of a higher power, mm -hmm. you know, um, because it was something I didn't understand. Yeah. You know, um, and I believed in it and I took heed in it and I, you know, I, I made what I made out of it, but you know, with all that. Um, and then there comes, you know, this, this fourth step, which is where you're supposed to write out everything you've done, you know, uh, the good, the bad, you know. Not so much the good, mainly just the bad. Um, you know, sex conduct, you know, all this stuff. And um, I've, I've, over the years, I've, I've come up with some really good metaphors. And two of them I have one for the fourth step. One is um, my conception of emotions and all this stuff. And I'm able to get this metaphor because I've had, I got this through three therapists, two psychiatrists, and one random person, I don't know, I don't really remember. Um, the way I handled emotions is similar to when you clean a room for a company. You don't actually clean up your room, you throw everything in the closet, you know? Like, yeah. I'm just gonna throw that in the closet, I'm gonna do all that, and it looks nice, it looks neat, yeah. right? Like, everything's good. Well, what happens is eventually, the closet gets a little stuffed, and it gets to the point where when you wanna throw something else in the closet, you open the door and some stuff falls out, you know, and you're like, oh shit, can't do that you yeah. know but that's your only means of cleaning you know so eventually you need to go through the closet and you need some help going through it and that that was kind of you know what the fourth step is yeah you know you got to go through that shut you don't know what's going to find but you have someone to help you that's the fifth step you know and the other thing the other metaphor i have is you know my, my father grew up on a farm in pennsylvania and uh, one day he was uh, playing with his brothers on a corn crib. A corn crib is a uh, structure where you house corn in. Uh, corn crib. Yeah, anyways, it's, it's really <laughs> tall. Anyways, he fell off it or jumped off it. I don't know. He was a dumbass. He also dove into a shallow end at one point. Um, he broke his arm. His parents didn't believe him. 
I don't know, maybe he just lied all the time. But they didn't believe him. His arm healed, but it healed him properly. The only way to fix an arm that healed him properly is to re-break it. Oh, yeah. So the fourth and fifth step. At one point in my life, I'd broken my arm, you know, metaphorically. Yeah. And through alcohol and all other stuff, that's how I fixed it. Yeah. I don't know when it happened. All I knew was that was my, that was my thing. So what this, the, basically the whole program is to re-break my arm and to put it in a cast so that it heals properly. Yeah. So the whole thing is going to be unpleasant, but you have to do it. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to look like Quasimodo or some well, shit. that's you know? just crazy that your grandparents didn't believe you. <laughs> was it crooked? Was it like... <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I, I like to think it was like, like, a, like a French fry or like when you stab a cigarette. And was it like his upper arm, his lower ulna, radius? I have no idea. I have no idea, but they didn't believe him. Um, yeah. You know, I, have a, I have a broken leg that healed improperly, but um, it wasn't a cast. So I don't know. I'd be, I was yeah, re-breaking it. But I guess they, if if they don't just like be, they don't like not give you anesthesia for that, do? I mean, I guess not. I mean, so I guess it's not entirely. <laughs> but no, no, no. It makes sense though because like the fourth step, you're rehashing a lot of these things that were painful and hurtful. Yeah. But they're also a little bit more controlled. You know, like you're so afraid of looking into them, but then you find out that they're not like looking back into them is not as uh is not the, the 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 big bad wolf that we think it is well for me like when i when i'm when i'm bringing people through this step i tell them to go anal about it put everything on this piece of paper and the reason why i say that is because you don't know like for me if i take my closet metaphor there might be something in the, in the far back closet mm-hmm. that maybe everything yeah. I don't know. I might just think that's nothing because I haven't dealt with it for so long, you know, to put everything on this fourth step. I mean, I had some stuff that like I didn't think was a big deal. One of the things was um, this girl in college who was on my sex inventory. Um, this girl in college, I had, um, you know, name, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what did I do? I wrote um, initiated sex. And my sponsor was like, what the fuck does that mean? And you initiated sex. And I was like, you know, you get her ready and then you have sex and you go, what does that mean? And I looked at myself and I said, I don't know what that means. I was like, oh my God, did I do something to this woman? I don't know. You know, I had no idea. Yeah. And I still don't. It's not really one of those things where you can like hit her up and be like, Hey, remember that time where, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. You never really, exactly. I think that that's like a thing. I'm, I'm, I'm always I always caution against leaving something out that came up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it's not, you know, I think it, you know, and this is all opinions here, y'all. Um, yeah, no. Uh, based on our experience. But I find that, you know, um, it's not so much because it's, 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 I feel like there's a lot of like, oh, I need, I need, I'm not resentful anymore, so I don't need to write it down. But if it came up, it doesn't matter to me because it's not about the resentment. It's about finding where I was at fault and finding my patterns and finding that like the, 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 uh, the truth about the stock and trade. Right. So here's the cool thing about, 
I mean, I guess I'm really, I'm really lucky and thankful for my sponsor, by the way. I mean, I may say a lot of weird stuff about him, but I, I love him dearly. Um, well, my first, my first fourth step was uh, like a written out word essay with uh, not an essay, but like indented, you know, italics and all that stuff on a word document and I brought this to him. And he was like, what is this? <laughs> like, that's my fourth step. He's like, why is it not pen on paper? You know? Like the classic, you know, just scribbling it out. And I was like, hmm. And he's like, these are all you're resentful of. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And it's like, where's your mother? I'm like, yeah, she's fine. You know, where's, where's your sister? It's fine, you know. I didn't even know what resentment was. Yeah. And then he told me what his version of resentment is. And I still use this to this day. A resentment, or to resent means to refeel. So if you're ever thinking about something and it brings up an emotion inside of you, that's a resentment. You know, it doesn't always have to be a bad feeling, but it's a resentment, you know? Yeah. That's what it is. And right when he said that, I was like, I resent my grandfather dying. I resent God, you know? I resent all these people, and I just kept going, and I kept going. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, see? You know? I was, I was mad at everything, you know? But the first time I remember um, I had myself on there, and I was starting to read it. And he said, you're not allowed to do that. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, you can't resent yourself. What do you think you're doing right now? And I was like, okay. You know? Like, that was, that was powerful because I'm the best at beating myself up. Yeah. I'm, I'm great at that. Um, so we did this, you know, this fourth and fifth step. And, um, you know, I was able to find some stuff I didn't know about myself. Mm. You know, that kind of scared me. You know? Um, and then we move on to, you know, like, figuring out my defects you know the, the things that are wrong kind of within me that i that i lean on because i mean if we really think about it i mean those were my not only safety features but those are my like street skills you know i'm able to manipulate yeah and lie so you don't get to the truth i didn't know what the truth was so i'm sure as hell not gonna let you know what the truth is mm. you know like hey how are you i'm fine if, by the way, if anyone says they're fine, they're full shit. Yeah. It's, eh, it's a pleasantry. You know, you don't want to, like... If they say you're fine, I'm how fine. Are you, how are you is actually a pleasantry, too. People say, how are you? They don't always want to know that you're exactly what's going on. They want to hear you say it's you're true, fine, it's true, and then we true, can but, go about you know, our day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, I, I, I was able to find, you know, I was... I'm, I'm very... Um, and, and I personally kind of believe that you never get rid of your character defects. And what I mean by that is these are innate qualities that we have. We're able to lessen the volume, mm -hmm. you know, but I think that like this disease, which I call it a disease, it, it's, a, it's a part of me, you know. I want to lie and cheat and manipulate my way through life. It's awesome and it feels good, you know, even when you go and like, you take a pack of gum or something like that. Like, I don't fucking want gum, but I took it and I wanted to. I don't know why, but I did, you know? Um, so, yeah, we have, we've got these, you know, these lists of things that we know that we have. And, you know, and, and when he's like, you know, give it away. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to keep that. You know, that's, that's, you know, like I said, street skills. Yeah. You know, without street skills, what are you going to do? You know, shot or whatever. I don't know. You know, I'm from I'm from the suburbs, y'all. I'm not yeah. I'm not that 
not cool. Well, I, like, I like to start meetings off with either saying I, I woke up with shit in my pants or I'm from the streets of suburban Ohio. Um, you know, that's how rough and tough I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and instead I mean, thanks of, for telling me because I would have never known yeah, right? unless you told me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and then he says, you know, it, when you have these traits, not only is it selfish for you to keep them, but it prevents you from helping someone else. And I said, what does that mean? And then he goes, what did you promise me when, you, when I agreed to be your sponsor? And I was like, well, I'm going to able to do anything it takes. Like, no, the second part, that when I'm finished with this program, I will bring someone else through it. And he threw that in my face a lot, you know, and, and I do the same thing to other people. Like when you agree to those things at the beginning, you know, if they say like, I really don't want to do that. I'm like, I thought you said you were going to do anything it takes. Yeah. And I don't mean like, I want you to give me a hundred dollars. I mean like, do your nightly. Getting a guy to pick you up for a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. picking him up for a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so I realized when he said that, this isn't exactly about me anymore. I mean, yes, it is. I mean, I'm sober at this point, right? I'm past, you know, like the main thing. I mean, arguably I could stop, you know, because I, I reached sobriety. But I, I wanted what he had. Well, that's debatable. Right. I don't know. <laughs> but he, he had this seamless uh, tranquility, you know, that serenity I was talking about earlier. Um, and then something dawned on me that, I should work on myself so that I can help others, you know, and when you're helping others, you're helping yourself. So that's where it kind of gets this, this weird twist of, uh, one of my, my cousin who's also, you know, like just crazy like me, except worse or maybe not worse, just on a different level. He would always be like, you know, that those programs are selfish, you know, it's just a bunch of selfish people. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. This is a selfish program. I need to be selfless in order to stay sober. So it's like, I'm so selfish in me trying to stay sober that I need to help you. Yeah. That's, that's how it's a selfish program. And it doesn't really make sense, but I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, when, on my level, my program is a personalized program. You know, I've done it through the fourth step, you know, in the, in the fifth step, in the sixth and seven, and all that. Ignore them. All right, cool. So, um, you know, through all that, I'm able to figure out specific things that I need to work on, you know, Hold on, I'm going to take a pause. All right. We're back. We had somebody knocking at the door, calling me Adam. Yeah. I mean, I can see it. <laughs> I look like I could be an Adam. You look like you could be any short white guy. Yeah. Well, it's weird because like, and I, it's, I don't know. It's to the point like where he's been calling me Adam for so long. I just feel so weird telling him, hey, by the way, it's Andy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're just like, this is my life And it's now. not like we're f like friends, but he comes here, you know, he does business with me, which I guess, if, I don't know. Well, <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, so I was talking about my specific program, you know, um, how like when I, so to me, if, if I'm not going to get super, you know, nitpicky or philosophical or what all that, but for, for me, like part of me doesn't want to believe in a God because I'm a scientific sort of mind. I don't really know if a you know, left and right brain, whatever. I mean, I know, I know all that's bullshit, but anyways, I'm, I'm like, I need proof. So I choose to believe like it, I don't know if I innately believe, but it doesn't matter. 
Yeah. You know? So like when I say prayer, when I pray, I speak out loud to something other than myself. Kind of like if you tell, um, if I were to say, you know, like, hey, Andy, I'm going to clean my bathroom tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and I don't want to clean my bathroom, but I'm like, shit, I told Andy I was going to do that. So if I don't do that, Andy knows that I told him I was going to do that. You know, it's like it makes you more accountable, yeah. more like, you know, to do it. So like when I pray, I pray for first time, like, you know, thanks, man. You know, it's pretty cool. You keep doing you, you know, that kind of thing. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm like, uh, thank you for keeping me sober another day. Um, and grant me patience, tolerance, and understanding so that I may be of service to someone who could use my help. And those three things I found are the most important things for my character defects, you know? And also throughout the day, I'll catch myself, you know, if you're in traffic or whatever, and you're like, you know, what are these people doing? And I'm like, chill out, man. Be patient, you know? Why are all these people here? Like, I've literally had that thought. Like, <laughs> where did all these people come from? We need a new plague. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Be tolerant, you know? And then understand that everyone's trying to get somewhere. Yeah, you're one of the people that needs to be wiped out with this plague, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. I'll go down. Um, you know, that, that's my specific program. Um, and then... Um, yeah, and see, I think, like, stuff like that's so useful to hear... Because, yeah, like, what am I praying to? Sometimes I have no idea. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I feel like very similar to you that I just kind of choose to believe. And sometimes I'm very woo-woo. And then sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't, I, I, I lack a lot of faith. I honestly, <laughs> I just call it God because it has less syllables. Yeah. And if I say God, you kind of get a general idea of yeah, what I'm talking about. it's a term about. of convenience, as they say. Um, you know, in, in each step, there's an underlining principle. Um, I have it all written out in my, my personal book, but, um, the uh, the eighth and nine um, eighth step is justice, and that's when you're you know you're writing out you're writing out what what you're gonna do you know who you've harmed and all that stuff and um, it's very very true you know and a lot of these instances um, one of the biggest ones for me was this place I work at you know I had been stealing a lot of beer from them. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to tell, you know, I told my sponsor, I'm like, you know, they don't know. So why do I have to bring this to their attention? And he's like, it's not your money that you took from them. I mean, it wasn't actually like money, but, you know, I did cause them profit. Yeah, that's you money. Know? They're like, it's not your money. So I literally needed him, and he did this, to walk me through what I was going to say and do. You know, he said, um, are you able to pay it all back? I was like, well, I'm going to have to do some number crunching. And I came up with a fair number. Like, I probably gave a little bit, like a little more than I needed to. But like a fair, I mean, this was fair. Um, it was it was over two grand um, or just about two grand. I think it was like 1975 and 63 cents or anything. Basically two grand of uh, worth of beer that I'm taking from them. Um, I wrote out a check. And he said, you're going to go up to these people, and this is what you're going to say. So I sat them down, two of the owners of this small, locally owned family po'boy shop that has been around for a long time. You know, and I said, uh, I have been stealing from you. Um, I've, dis I've discovered that I'm an alcoholic, and I've been going under your nose and stealing from you. 
Um, this is an estimate of what I've taken from you with the cost. Um, I need you to take this money because if you do not take it, I may not stay sober. And um, on, I, I really wanted to get fired. I was waiting for them to call the cops because I've been told that that's a federal offense if you steal like yeah. a couple grand, you know. Um, and instead I heard, how can we help you? And I was like, did you not hear what I said? I've been stealing from you. One of them said, my brother died from a heroin overdose. And the other said, my aunt died from alcohol withdrawal. Like, we get it. How can we help you? And I was like, you can start by taking this check. You know? Like, you never know who you're going to touch yeah. when you're doing this sort of thing. Um, Dude, is this a, like, that's such, moments like that are so powerful. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I still work there. And I've, right. I've only gotten more responsibilities. Um, I, they even every once in a while, they do ask me to do a beer inventory and, you know, some, uh, and I, one of the things, one of the ways that I give back to them is I, I never lie. I mean, I never lie in general, but like, I certainly never lie there. Yeah. I mean, and some of these things that they ask is like, they're asked like what I used to be like or whatever. And they'll be like, so yeah, did you ever drink here? And I'll be like, oh, I used to take three beers and slam in the, slam in the bathroom and then throw them out the back. You know, <laughs> they're like, how, how do we, how'd you know you could get away with it? I'm like, I knew where you were uh, when you put the cameras in. I know where the blind spots are. No, they'd be like, we had no idea. And that's the thing that I, I, that's the interesting thing that I've always heard from people. And oh, and by the way, I couldn't just make an amends to those people. This is a family run place with people yeah. who've been working there for decades. I had to make an amends to four other people yeah. that were in there who have been working one for 50 years one for 35, one for 15, and one for 17. Wow. Like, I had to make amends to all these people. And then I had to make amends to other family members that were associated with that family. So, like, all around, I had to make, like, six or seven amends for one thing I did to that one thing. Yeah. You know, and, and all of them were like, you know, I had no idea. And part of me is like, yeah, I'm just that good, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's also the part of me that also said, like, I was a good drunk driver because I never got caught. Yeah. You know, but it was that kind of thing. Um, you know, and then you have to go and make amends to the, the harder amends. Like, so that, that was pretty hard, okay? Yeah, that seems pretty hard. But the ones that I mean is, uh, like, how do you make an amends to your parents, to your mother? You know, how do you do that? Um, you know, it, it, it was very simple what I said. But it was very powerful. Basically, I, I, I sat down and I said, um, I'm, I haven't been the son you deserve. And I don't know how to make that right. But please let me know how I can. And, you know, we've, like, evolved from this parental sort of relationship to an adult relationship. So I still live at the house. But I'm also, you know... I work full time, I go to school now, and I have three home groups, and I'm working with other people. And, um, you know, every Saturday, I buy them pizza. Like, it, it's not that big of a deal, but like growing up, we had pizza night every night, and I buy them all pizza. You know, like, it, it's not that, that big a deal, but like, I'm providing them dinner, and yeah, like, they expect awesome. it, you know, that kind of stuff. And every once in a while, I'm able to like help them out with some bills, you know, and that's really cool. Yeah. But, um, you know, like those kind of things, it's really hard to just make, you can't just make a one and done sort of thing, you know? 
Yeah, that's it. And see, and that's what's funny is like when I, my family members to me initially in my mind were like, they were, they were the easiest to approach, I think. But like to sustain um, a level of like commitment to them, of, uh, of, of, you know, of the, just being a good family member like that over a long period of time, you know, I have to like recommit pretty, pretty like repeatedly. And for me, I'm not going to say that it's been the hardest, but it's like one that I, cause like the, the ones where I go, Hey, this is what I did. How can I make it up to you? I do a thing. And then it's like, okay. And then I commit to not doing it again, but like, I'm not in their lives you know, mm-hmm. we're not family members. Like family is can be harder just in the sense that it's such a like a you have to recommit and reevaluate so often like so often yeah. with them. And then know? there's there's you know, a lot of people they, they call it they call this living amends. Yeah. And some of the ones a lot of people I know of they're like, Oh, I'll just make that living amends. You know, like, yeah, I just won't do that again. That's not what it means. Yeah. It, it, it's not like a oh, okay, I'll stop stealing from this gas station. Like, no. So, like, for me... I mean, that is part of it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've hurt and used a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Some for sexual gain, some for monetary value. I mean, just a lot. Some just for the fuck of it, you know? Just to feel good. Because, like, for me, and one of, the, one of the things that I discovered, you know, through my inventory was that I confused intimacy with sexual actions, you know? I thought that was going to be, like, it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. So I, I've, I've made a lot of problems for a lot of people. Um, through that avenue. Um, and so a lot of them, I have no idea where they are. I don't know who, who they are, <laughs> you know, to be honest. But um, I don't have to do that again, you know. That's, that's the main thing. So, like, with the help through my sponsor, you know, we're able to discuss, you know, what are my motives and why am I doing that? Like, yeah. really, why am I doing that? Not like a I just want to get laid, you know, like literally, where is this coming from? Why do you feel this way? Like for me to actually address my emotions is something that I've never done. Yeah. Well, it's because like like you said, you went from one addiction to the next. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's so easy to fall into another pattern once you quit drinking in sobriety. Yeah. You know, and sex can be one of those patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, and what that means is like, there's also... Like I said, you know, the way I praise, you know, for patience, tolerance, and understanding, but like there are other things in my life that I need to be on top of or, or else I'm going to fall into another slump. And literally that's like lying, that's cheating, that's, um, you know, I, I can't think of anything else right now, but literally that's what it is. Like honesty, you know, open willingness, you know, tolerance and all of that um, in order to stay on top of things. Mm-hmm. You know, because just because I'm not drinking or, you know, using or anything doesn't mean that I can't act like an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people I know that, maybe not a lot, but I mean, at least some I know that have like almost a couple decades of sobriety. I mean, not a couple, but I know of one guy who's got like 12, 15 years and he's like batshit crazy. Yeah. You know, but so what happens is I never did this program to get sober. That was never my goal. Never. I went there because there was something wrong. Um, apparently I was maladjusted to life. I thought life was supposed to help you. You know, I thought life was, you know, 
you do good and good things happen to you. That's not true. I mean, it sounds great and it works well with Disney movies, but that's, that's not how it works. You know, I came to this program. Um, I found out that you needed to be sober in order to do it. So I decided, you know, okay, let, let's, let's try this. You know, I had no idea that it was going to change my life in such a way that it is today. You know, to say that I'm intimate with people now sounds really fucking weird. But also keep in mind that my sponsor was a guy with a top knot and a crazy beer from a yoga studio. <laughs> but like, I can confidently and unequivocally and unafraid to say to him, another man, you know, I love you. You know, that's pretty powerful stuff, you know, to say that I have friends that are, that are women and not want to, or feel the need to engage in some carnal attraction, Yeah, you know, like I see them as people, which I know sounds so bad and so shallow, but that's where my mind was. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and you know, I had no idea that this sort of thing you know, could change my entire thinking. You know, we call it a, uh, they call it a spiritual awakening or a psychic change. And that's really what it was. I I've had a paradigm shift in my head, you know, that was all about, you know, kind of what I needed to survive. Yeah. And now I'm thinking the opposite of like, how can I help these people around me? Anyone, you know, in any way. Because when I'm helping someone or, or honestly like just listening to someone or anything to that, I'm not thinking about myself. And in that brief second, I'm actually getting what I got, you know, when it's raining and you're driving under a bridge, mm-hmm. you know, that rain, you know, just stops yeah. and it's quiet and, and it's numb. I'm getting that same effect, which sounds really culty and weird, but it works. Yeah. You know, you know, a wise man once said, if it looks stupid, but it works, it's not stupid, <laughs> you know? Yeah. To this day, I like to, and I like to think that it's my alcoholic thinking, my disease, where I like to tell myself, hey, you got sober a month before you turned 23. You're way too young to be thinking about this. You have no idea if you're a natural alcoholic or not. Or you didn't do drugs. You're fine. You still got a long time. I still hear that sometimes in my head. Yeah. And the truth is, tomorrow, I might entertain them. But today, I'm not, you know? Honestly, I might not be an alcoholic. I really think I am. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, you know? I've, I've been able to find a fellowship of people that are similar to me, who genuinely care about me, and I care about them. You know, I've, I'm... I actually going to school for a purpose this time. I want to be a treatment counselor. Nice. Like I have a goal plan. I have the steps. I know what steps I need to take in order to get there. You know, I actually was talking to someone who um, I asked to come speak at a meeting and he works at a treatment center. And he, he basically told me, he was like, you know, if, if you're really interested in this, send a resume. So now I'm waiting to hear if I'm getting a job at a treatment center. Nice. You know, like I never thought... I never thought that it would be like this. Yeah. You know, I genuinely feel serenity in times where I shouldn't, you know, that's a testament. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. 
you know, like just last week I got into an accident where someone hit my car, my brand new car that I spot, you know, and I never felt my heart rate elevating or anything. You know, I was like, are you okay? She's like, I'm calling the cops. And I'm like, go ahead. <laughs> That's all right. You know? Yeah. Go ahead. And I'll, I'll be here. I'm not taking off. Yeah. You know? Serenity. What is the saying? Uh, calamity. Springs, uh, serenity in calamity or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, shit, dude. That's pretty fucking awesome, bro. Um, I got one more thing. All right. It's give quick. it to me. All right. Give it to me. So if we're thinking about, you know, the whole universe and how it's all coming together. So my mother, she's an alcoholic, right? When I had finished the steps in about two months, three months or whatever, I had noticed that she was, she was suffering too. And I brought her into the program. So if we're, you remember me saying I believed in a force that was, you know, malevolent and helping to my own misery. I've decided to call that my God, my higher power, my whatever, my spirit, because I refuse to believe that this is just coincidental from us leaving New Orleans, going to Ohio, my father getting fired, me having to go through all this shit, my grandfather dying, my friend killing himself, all coming here. Then the school that he finds a job at is where he finds, you know, my mother meets my sponsor and gives me that number. Then I call him. Then I'm in the program. Then I meet someone. You know, I get that woman to hook up with my mother, and now she's her sponsor. Now we each have at least three years. That's insane. And none of this would have, you know, come to fruition if it weren't for one of those things. Yeah. You know, I just think that's, that's amazing. And, you know, there are times when I meet with someone, and you're sitting across the coffee table, and you hear their words. You hear your thoughts coming out through their mouth. Like, you know, someone once told me, you know, like, I just feel like I'm destined to be a screw up. And I genuinely felt like that was my purpose on earth, that people were to look at Jackson and be like, at least I'm not that. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that's incredible. That's what I think. That's literally why I think I went through all that stuff. Wow. Yeah. It's so insane whenever like you're in, in some kind of like flow and you can see how things connect and see how like. I mean, like you said, if one of those things don't happen and then maybe eventually you find your way back into like the, 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 I like to call it the, the flow of the universe mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that's beautiful, dude. Um, well, I think, um, I think, I think we all leave it there. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Thanks for coming to do this. Um, I'm, um, yeah, just thanks. Thanks for asking me, man. It's all been right. great. Awesome. We'll